Welcome to the Mycotoxin Matters podcast from Alltech Mycotoxin Management. As mycotoxins present an ever-increasing threat to livestock production, join us as we discuss these impacts and potential solutions, sustainable farming, and our vision for a planet of plenty. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Mycotoxin Matters podcast. This is the second in our series related to different species. And today I'm joined by Red Smith, who is a strategic poultry advisor to uh, the Alltech business, and by Paula McCooey, who is the poultry manager for Ireland. And our focus today is on breeders. Uh, my name is Nick Adams, uh, Global Director for the Mycotoxin Management team. And perhaps, Reg, uh, we could start with yourself and and you could give us uh, just a little bit of a background, but it's a little sort of context for us in terms of why are we interested in the topic uh, of mycotoxins around the, the breeding flock? Uh, what should we be concerned about when we think about these birds, perhaps more so uh, than when we think about some of the other uh, birds that we are feeding within the cycle? OK, uh, thanks, Nick, uh, and hi, everybody. Um, so mycotoxins, uh, and for the audience's benefit, I've been in the industry for about 40 years. Mycotoxins has never really been a subject that we would discuss much uh, agriculturally. Um, the, well, I think the term mycotoxins came out in 1962, so it's relatively new, but we would not have really looked at it hard because we didn't know much about it for one, and also on the back of that, didn't think it was doing us uh, any damage. But the reality is mycotoxins are ubiquitous. They're uh, certainly in all the grains that we have, at maybe low levels. Um, if you've got corn in the diet, if you've got uh, DDGs in the diet, then there's a higher risk level. Um, but the ultimate impact of those uh, sometimes is mass. So if you're in a broiler operation, you'll see up and down performance. Is that due to the management? Is that due to the chicks, the feed? Or is it due to uh, hidden mycotoxins within the diet? That is generally goes unknown. The bigger impact, as we're discussing today, is really the breeding stock. So you've got your higher generation. Most people who've got breeding stock will have parent stock. Some of you may have GPs. Um, those are high value birds which live a long time. And it's the time that they live which is quite an interesting factor because whilst in some places of the world and Western Europe being a case in point, uh, you would not generally expect to see much in the way of mycotoxins. As I said earlier, there are mycotoxins there and those over the length of a long life can have quite a detrimental effect on the breeding performance. And when I say detrimental effect, in relatively minor circumstances, you could be losing 10 to 15 chicks per breeding hen. So what's that? Roughly 10% of your uh, income has gone for no other reason than potentially mycotoxin presence within the diets. Not only will it affect those breeders, but unlike a lot of things that do come and go, uh, once you've had a hit from mycotoxins within the breeders, they're unlikely to regain the breeding potential that they had. So if they get hit early in the life in week 22, 24, 25, that's going to impact the whole 
uh, laying cycle up to the 60, 65 weeks, whatever age you kill the birds at. So it's a for, for the breeders, it's a bit of an insidious one. Uh, you hope you don't get a problem. If you do, the likelihood is going to rob the performance and rob the performance for the rest of the bird's life. The final part I'd say, Nick, is when you look at that chick moving into the broiler division, it's likely to be impaired some way. If for those that hatch, if there's been mycotoxins, you could well have impairment of the chicks, which could be stunting and runting syndrome. You quite often get gizzard erosion, sorry, mouth erosion ulcers in broilers that are receiving mycotoxins. So there's a raft of things that if you class the breeders as your building blocks, then your building blocks have been knocked about by an early attack or early presence of mycotoxins within the diet, which has then gone downstream and affected uh, the broilers. Uh, does that sort of answer the question or lay it out? It, it does. I think we, there's plenty to build on from, from there, Reg. And so perhaps, Paula, we, we could come to you. And Reg, I think, mentioned that particularly there, the, the lifespan, and and then some of the the key things that we may see uh, within the bird. Maybe you could dig into that a little bit more and maybe give us a bit of um, a bit of information around what are the things that mycotoxins are doing uh, to the bird that, that ultimately then result in some of the challenges that we see and that Reg alluded to. Yeah, thanks, Nick. Um, so the impact of mycotoxins on poultry is complex because sometimes we see clinical symptoms, uh, but more often than not with chronic exposure, we the symptoms are less obvious. So some of the key areas that are affected in breeders um, are damage to the organs, so such as the GI tract. Um, so we see things, as Reg has mentioned, like mouth lesions, damage to the gut wall, and that can then lead to reduced feed intake and reduced nutrient absorption. Um, gut health then is also impacted and that has a negative consequence on all performance. So we may see raised mortality, litter issues, and we can also see a drop in egg production and egg quality. Um, per fertility then is another key area, obviously in your breeder operation, and that is impacted. It's a common symptom of mycotoxin contamination in both males and females. And then I'd say the final one is your immunity and vaccine failure. So that's a key area affected by mycotoxins. And it's probably one of the more subtle ones. But we do know that mycotoxins, even at low levels, can impact the innate and acquired, acquired immune response in birds, um, which in turn decreases the response to vaccines. So then, of course, as Raj has said as well, having impacted the fertility, egg quality and immunity of the broiler breeder, it's hardly a surprise that we have negative consequences for the progeny of those birds. So we see per hatchability, increased embryonic mortality at the hatchery and then the day old quality is affected as well. So I think what you've said there is, I mean, we are, when we think about mycotoxins, they can be the root cause of a lot of different things because of their effect on some of the, the sort of fundamental processes within the bird. Uh, they can then sort of trigger or catalyze uh, or, or potentiate uh, larger effects. Um, Reg, maybe coming back to you then, and, and, and you touched on this a little bit, but sort of finance wise, what does that mean for the the producer for the bird initially, obviously, but then for the producer. Well, uh, 
individually, um, it's going to have a fair, fair impact on your returns. As I said, if you've lost 15, 15 chicks, you've lost 10% of your revenue. So uh, I don't think many, many farmers out there would sit comfortable with losing 10% of their revenue from what, what effectively for most people is an, a hidden assassin because uh, they don't know why it's happening. And unfortunately, you then spend a heap of money trying to solve a problem. So in a lot of things in agriculture, when things go wrong, you tend to throw the kitchen sink at it. Uh, and then you start pulling away the, the supports that you put in at the end of it to see which one actually solved the problem. So when you don't know the actual outcome, the, the initiation of the problem, you're going to spend a lot of money investigating a problem, probably using uh, technologies or products that aren't going to sort it. Uh, and then at the outcome, maybe the problem dissipates if you're lucky. Uh, but as I said, in breeders, you're still going to have the hang on effect. So the overall effect is quite significant to a breeding farm. Bearing in mind, a breeding farm produces eggs from about 24, 25 weeks for chick production up to 60 weeks and then it finishes. It is a it's a long life, but and it's a difficult life when you start off with a flock that has been impaired early on and you've got to keep that flock all the way through to the end because they'll still yeah. be eating the same amount of food. They may actually be eating more food, particularly if they've impaired their own gut systems. It, so to, to put a direct value on it is difficult because it depends where you are in the world, your input uh, costs and your the revenues that you get paid. But clearly the, the finance piece, yeah, it, it can be significant. Um, and, and when you talk about some of the numbers that, that when you think about what the potential loss could be, then they become really significant. What are your thoughts around, you know, the concept of the lower level challenge? You know, sometimes we say it, you know, it may be easier to spot that real acute challenge something that comes in hits the the birds really hard and is very therefore very very visible um uh, paula alluded to those sort of chronic challenges are they more difficult to spot because actually you don't necessarily see them as easily but they're still robbing the 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 system uh completely 100 percent agree with that statement you've got a a situation if if you're in certain parts of the world where you're using a lot of maize or corn uh, and you know the, the, the harvest wasn't good, the storage conditions aren't good, you're going to be pretty well alerted to the fact that any problems you're seeing in your livestock, in this case breeding poultry, could well be caused by mycotoxins. But in a lot of places in the world, it's it's one of these things that you, it's, it's out of mind because you don't have an easy way of seeing the, the true effects. As you say, it's underlying there's symptoms, there's all sorts of odd symptoms going on, but not one that you can put your hand on. And in order to get to the answer to that, you've really got to start digging into uh, testing, not only your feed, but your raw materials, your storage bins, and it's quite a lengthy process. You know, if, if, if I break my leg, I'm pretty sure I've broken my leg, yeah? But in a get, when I get a pain in the back, where's that pain in the back coming from? Is it my knee, is it my ankle, is it, is it my way my head sits on my shoulder? You don't know. And so it's it, it's one, it's a bit like the pain in the back. It's a problem you know you think you've got, but you don't really know what's causing it. But in order to solve it, you've got to do quite a lot of investigation. I like the way you didn't mention age there, uh, Reg. Nothing when, to uh... do with age, being a young spring <laughs> chicken like myself. 
Paula, Reg has maybe segued quite nicely into uh, into the next uh, sort of area that we could pick up on, which is um, risk and, and where risk is coming from. Uh, harvest is going on in a lot of places around the world at the moment. Uh, what, what are the thoughts around potential risk that's coming down the road for us next year? Yeah, so in the 2023 harvest, um, we are expecting to see an increase in mycotoxin contamination, and that is due to the extreme weather events that we've seen. So from droughts in Western uh, US, floods in South Asia, heat waves across Europe and extended monsoon seasons in India, um, globally, this, this is going to be an issue. If we look at the current landscape, say, for the some of the early data coming in from the European harvest, um, we're seeing an average of 4.4 mycotoxins per sample, with 93% of those samples containing two or more mycotoxins. Um, emerging mycotoxins, type A and type B trichothecenes are the most commonly occurring mycotoxins found so far. And if we look at the risk, risk profile just for those uh, early samples that have come in, specifically for breeders, 60% of the samples are moderate to high risk for breeders. So we're still collecting samples. It's still at the early stages for Europe and it'll be several weeks before we have all of the analysis done. But what we can say is that we've seen in the field that crops have been stressed and the weather events have definitely had an impact and we are expecting to see an increase in mycotoxin contamination um, across, all, across all small grains. Certainly interesting, particularly when when you mention small grains and and something again more more related to perhaps some of the recent European uh, analyses that we've done, where where typically we've seen quite low risk associated with those small grains. But this year, you know, quite a different harvest season, and so interesting to see that that risk profile coming in from the initial samples is is significantly higher. Yeah, definitely. If we compare it to last year and even the year before when we looked at, say, European wheat and barley uh, for poultry, it was overall fairly low risk. Um, but that's definitely not the case this year so far. And it's the same mycotoxins, primarily. We're thinking about those fusarium mycotoxins, but we're seeing higher levels. Yeah, that's right. A higher levels, more concentrated and a higher number of mycotoxins per sample. Yeah. And and then from what you're saying, it'll be interesting to see when we think about uh, those the the monsoons. If we think further south and and some of the weather events that we've seen over in in North America, to see the impacts that they have as we start gathering data from uh, those countries as well uh, in the next uh, uh, weeks ahead. I think uh, Nick, can I just because um, I found this a really interesting thing about the mycotoxins. Um, we always talk about the weather events being a factor. I think it's important to understand that the, you know, the mycotoxins actually only come out of these fungi when they're stressed. So the stressors can be various things, but clearly hot weather stresses them, probably very damp weather, don't know, but it's likely to, but they produce the mycotoxins as a byproduct. It's not a, it's not a natural process that they've always produced them, it's when they're stressed they produce them. So we talk about bad harvest, we talk about bad storage conditions, and those storage conditions can be where you get the grain from in the first place to your own bins on the farm. Uh, and there's a number of areas where if you do not look after A, the grain that's standing in the field, how you've cut it and stored it, and then the transportation and the processing into the feed mill, 
you could equally get mycotoxins. So don't think it's a problem that only sits out there on the farm or in a store. It's right across the whole supply chain. So in a year uh, like we've seen with the weather patterns that we've seen, quite likely there is going to be more. And as, as I think Paul is just alluding to, we're, we're already seeing that in the testing that goes on. It, it, absolutely. And, uh, and I think one of our challenges, as you mentioned, in, in a more difficult harvest season, we are more likely to bring in higher levels of that contamination, both the mold and the mycotoxin contamination. And of course, you know the the poorer quality we are dealing with from the field comes all the way through because that mold is present, and therefore it puts even more emphasis on the storage conditions to uh, to allow that grain to be um, stored. Um, to maintain its integrity throughout the, the year because someone's got to store that grain for the year um, as we feed it out over this next season. So it's uh, it, it's a good point, Reg. And, and maybe, Paula, coming back to yourself then, what should people be doing now thinking about the testing side of things so that they can understand whether it's a, a feed mill or a farm, uh, they can understand what the potential challenge they have in the in the grains and the feeds they're feeding. Yeah, so understanding the contamination profile of the feed, uh, the feed itself and the raw materials used is key to managing the risk of mycotoxins. I think from a feed mill point of view, it's not enough to just rely on the shipping data that you might get or to take uh, a sample of one sample from a cargo because we know there's huge variation within cargos within one feed load and then like we've just said there's also possible for possibility for further contamination during storage um, so it's not enough to rely on that. I think we need you need a regular and comprehensive testing program that identifies a broad range of mycotoxins um, and that should be put in place to identify the level of risk to birds. Um, so that's regular testing of both raw materials coming in and then your finished feed. And at feed mill level, that will allow you then to identify your high risk raw materials, uh, where those load, what, what load that came from, what country maybe is, is more risky than others. And especially when you're feeding a high risk species like breeders, to then try to reformulate the diet to maybe reduce the amount of your high risk material that's needed or to use it from a different source that's maybe of a, a higher quality with less uh, mycotoxin contamination. So that's your first sort of uh, line of defense as such. But then it's not only enough to have testing in place, you also need to have um, a bit of a database or a system in place to track, compare and trend your mycotoxin data. So that it can allow you then to assess if you have issues on farm, performance issues or issues in the hatchery, that you can actually go back and look at the feed that was uh, given to these birds and see, is it a mycotoxin issue? Could it be? And is there further work to be done to look into that? And that sort of takes the guesswork out of the chronic exposure and the, the things we were talking about earlier about how it can be difficult to actually identify a mycotoxin issue on farm. But if you have that sort of database set up, um, that can that can really help uh, the investigation. So, so then, Reg, if I come to you and so producers 
have the testing side of things in place and we'll perhaps touch on the data side of things um, as part of this. So I have testing, I have data. How do I interpret that data if I'm a producer or a farmer? Um, you know, I've got lots of numbers. What do those numbers mean? Okay, so um, make sure I do answer your question, Nick, because I might go off piece slightly in, in answering it. Um, you end up with, and I've sat in many nutritional meetings over the years, looking at uh, or asking about mycotoxin levels, and everybody says, well, that's okay, it's, it's within legally acceptable levels, uh, so don't worry about it. But the reality is, uh, there are a number of mycotoxins, as, as, as Paul has just said, in virtually every sample of grain, of food that you've got. And we've always sat there and said, well, at a certain level, it's below the, uh, the standard, the advisory levels, the, the, the legislative levels, so don't worry about it. But the reality is you get a synergistic, synergistic effect when you've got two, three, four mycotoxins, even if they're individually at a low level, synergistically they can have an effect and certainly through the testing that Alltech has done uh, they've come up with a, a scheme which is um, basically gives a unit value it's called an REQ don't worry about what the REQ stands for but the REQ is a view of the relative effect of those group of mycotoxins when synergistically working together have in relation to a standard unit which if I uh, remember correctly is against um, aflatoxin. So it's just giving you a benchmark so you'll get a number to say you've got 30 REQ. Is that important to you or not? Well if you've got 30 REQ and you've got three microtoxins pushing into that, that may well be enough to cause you a problem. If you had 80 REQ that's probably definitely going to give you a problem. So it it's it's giving you more of a sense of direction when you've got some results in front of you with, with terminologies around what mycotoxin it is that you've never even heard and you've got a number. But now you get one number and that one number gives you a guide. And if you actually take, and there's, there's, there's standard ways of doing this, if you take uh, a, a new graph the mycotoxins that you've got over time and as you increase the mycotoxins look at the performance degradation that is likely to come from it as that number gradually goes higher the degradation you will get uh, in the performance increases so um, notably i think uh, going to talk about the study that was done where they looked at um, i think it was 16 or 17 crops continually of broilers and predicted from the mycotoxin analysis whether there'd be an effect on the performance. Then, having predicted where the, 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 the hits would be, they looked at the performances and on each one where they said, we would expect at this REQ level, the performance of the broilers to be hit. Sure enough, when they looked at the physical result that was gained on the farm during that crop, it was generally the food conversion that got hit by three, four, five points. Now, as a as an agriculturalist, without that knowledge, I would have sat there and just looked at that and said, right, what did we do, chaps? What, what went wrong on farm? Was it the chicks? Was it the feed? Is it the management? Did we not clean? You know, there's 101 things I would look at. And historically, I would never have then thought, well, hold on. 
do we know about mycotoxins? So um, pick up on me in a minute, Nick, if I haven't answered your question. So I would then, in today's world, with breeders, I'd be saying, well, I know from what I've said earlier, I know that if I hit those breeders at all, that performance loss is going to hold throughout the, the life of the bird. So I'd look at it and say, well, Paul has just spoken about the, the harvests, about where, you know, the problems around the world. I'd be sitting there and saying, it's not worth me spending time waiting to find out if I've got a problem with breeders. Because if I, by the time I've got a problem and I found out about it through my testing, you know, let's assume I'm not testing all the time. If I then spend time testing it, the problem's already there. So in my world today, I then look at it and say, right, breeders, I need a way of protecting them from the potential, the risk. Now, I'm pretty sure in saying that once you've got a mycotoxin hit in your birds or your pigs or your cows, there is no treatment. For, myco for mycotoxin poisonings, there is no treatment. But what you're trying to do is prevent the mycotoxin poison from actually hitting the animal in the first place. So that's where, uh, in my world, I would be putting a, um, a mycotoxin binder into the front end of the rearing diets and the breeder diets to protect those birds. It's, you, you, you pay your money and takes your choice on broilers. Do you, do you want to ride the risk? Because unless you've got, as Paul has said, a testing program, you won't know whether you've got a problem or not. On breeders, by the time you've got a problem, it's too late. So yeah. for me and the value of the breeders, I protect them at the start, right the way through. Which Sorry, is did that, that answer the question? It did. Look, I, I, I think it did. And I think it is it is that that piece around, you know, you talked uh, about the, the REQ concept and 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 how that simplifies the the approach uh, or that ability to bring together all of those mycotoxin numbers. It, it, it's it's then a number that can easily be you know translated between or or referred between different raw materials and feeds and seasons uh, to give a, an easier way i think of um of looking at the the relative risk that we're that we're facing um and i think then you know what you're saying is all of the things that paula said are very applicable because on an ongoing basis you want to see what is going on when it comes to breeders the, the the insurance piece becomes a really important part of that program because actually as good as all the testing programs are actually solving problems in real time is difficult so unless you're sort of in front of it uh, then you're behind it effectively and uh, and with breeders you don't want to be behind it um, absolutely absolutely right absolutely right well look uh, paula reg really appreciate the time um thanks for all of your uh, words of wisdom and uh, i hope everyone has enjoyed uh, this episode in the series and we will be back with uh, the ruminant uh, episode in the near future thanks very much both thanks cheers guys thank you we hope you enjoyed listening today and look forward to you joining us next time on the Mycotoxin Matters podcast. For more information on the topics discussed, please visit nomycotoxins.com. That's K-N-O-W mycotoxins.com.